0: Our scripture reading today comes from the 10th chapter of the book of Acts. I'm going to be reading two sections in a longer story. I'll be reading verses 9 through 17a and then skip to 23b and read that through verse 34. But before we come to this passage, let us first join together in a word of prayer. Christ is God, because you are God... It is your word and your word alone that is life for us. And because you are gracious, we trust that even now, by your spirit, you will whisper through these ancient words that you would bring them to life in our lives as a living word. We are here, O God. We are listening. In the name of Christ, amen. So, this entire chapter, chapter 10, narrates a story of an encounter between the Apostle Peter and a man named Cornelius. He's a Gentile of the Italian cohort, it says, and it begins with Cornelius having an encounter with an angel. And the angel says, go uh, send uh, men to bring the Apostle Peter back to meet with you. And it's at that point that we'll pick up the reading in in verse 9. About noon the next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And While it was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the heaven opened, and something like a large sheet coming down, being lowered to the ground by its four corners. In it were all kinds of four-footed creatures and reptiles and birds of the air. Then he heard a voice saying, "'Get up, Peter. Kill and eat.' But Peter said, "'By no means, Lord.' For I have never eaten anything that is profane or unclean. The voice said to him a second time, What God has made clean, you must not call profane. This happened three times. And the thing was suddenly taking up to heaven. Now while Peter was greatly puzzled about what to make of the vision that he had seen, Suddenly, the men sent by Cornelius appeared. They arrived, and they told Peter, our, our friend Cornelius wants you to come with us. And Peter, kind of puzzling over the dream, agrees to go and visit with these Gentiles. And here's where we pick the story up. The next day he got up and went with them, and some of the believers from Joppa accompanied him. The following day, they came to Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. On Peter's arrival, Cornelius met him and falling at his feet, worshipped him. But Peter made him get up saying, stand up, I'm only a mortal. And as he talked with him, he went in and found that many had assembled. And he said to them, you yourselves know It is unlawful for a Jew to associate with or to visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean, so when I was sent for, I came without objection. Now may I ask, why you sent for me? Cornelius replied, Four days ago at this very hour at three o'clock, I was praying in my house when suddenly a man in dazzling clothes stood before me, He said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying in the house of Simon a tanner by the sea. Therefore I sent for you immediately, and you have been so kind enough to come. So now all of us are here in the presence of God to listen to all that the Lord has commanded you to say grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of our God shall stand forever. Amen. When we're talking about village being village, we're talking about why you would take resources from your pocket and invest them in the ministry of this church. And the truth is, if we talk about the DNA of village, of village being village— I think we need to talk about this biblical story. You know, some stories are just entertaining. But some stories, they, they shape our view of the world and our understanding of ourselves. They inform how we see reality. And toward that end, I think this is an important story for us to know and to tell. Peter is... Among the first of the disciples, you remember he dropped his nets and followed Jesus and a desire to find a more meaningful life. Well, now he has become a leader in this church, and he has a vision. You heard it. A sheep comes down from heaven filled with all kinds of food of animals, clean and unclean. And you don't have to know much about Judaism to know that keeping kosher is important. Peter kept kosher his whole life. We assume Jesus did as well. It's one of those spiritual practices that grounds faith in daily living. There are just certain things you don't eat as a faithful Jew. Every meal is a reminder that, that all that we do is an expression of our faith, that everything we do matters to God, even the simplest practice of just eating. It's a beautiful practice, really. And In this sense, diet is one of many things that, that sort of distinguish Jews from non-Jews or Gentiles. The way the Torah describes this is it says, Jews were called to live a holy life. Holy, the word holy literally translates to be set apart to be not like them or not like others. One of these things is not like the others. It's holy, set apart, to walk in a different way. So keeping kosher was just one example of living this holy life, this life not like others. But then Peter has this vision. And it turns everything on its head because the voice says, you can eat all of it, clean and unclean, all included in this vision. The voice says, you can have it all. And Peter knows the right answer. He says, no, I can't. I've never eaten anything unclean. I've never eaten anything profane. Keeping kosher was not a hobby. It was the law. It was the Torah. Then God says, what I've made clean you shouldn't call profane. Now, to be clear, It's not Peter who decided what was clean and unclean. It's in the book. It's in the Torah. It was God who said, This is clean and this is unclean. Peter knows the right answer here. But now, is God saying something different? Is God saying, Knowing the right answer is not enough? It's confusing. At this same time, While this is happening to Peter, we meet Cornelius of the Italian cohort. Read Gentile in all caps. Cornelius then could eat anything he wants, although fruits and vegetables are always recommended. Cornelius is not Jewish, but he is religious. And Cornelius is visited by an angel. The Greek word for angel is angelos. It it really translates messenger. An angel is not one with halo and wings. An angel is just one who has a message from God. And the angel comes to Cornelius and instructs him. There's an apostle named Peter, a Jewish man. Summon him and listen to what he has to say. And this is where the story gets interesting to me. Peter comes to Cornelius' house, but he's not altogether comfortable with it. He says, God has showed me there's no partiality, but you know, you understand, it's not lawful for me to associate or to visit with you as Gentiles. I'm to be holy, set apart from you. The whole thing about being Jewish is to socially distance from you as Gentiles. You know this, Cornelius, so why did you send for me? And Cornelius says, I really don't know. I just know an angel visited and said that you should come and we should listen to what you have to say. This is what strikes me about this story. These men have had remarkable spiritual experiences, Peter has a vision. Cornelius is visited by an angel. As spiritual experiences go, these are sort of top-tier spiritual experiences, I would think. But neither one of them really knows what God is doing on their own. The only way for them to discern what God is really up to in this moment is they have to talk to each other. It happens through conversation, and when they begin to talk to each other, what they discover is that God is bigger than either of them had imagined. A result of their conversation is what I would say is the largest reformation in the history of faith, because the result of this conversation is Jews and Gentiles, people who by definition understood the other to be the other. Saw themselves as family, that God was at work among them all, and a completely new understanding of what it is to be holy emerges. It's no longer enough to be holy by being set apart from, socially distanced from others. What makes them holy is their commitment, their fidelity to those who had previously been understood as the other. And this story is an an important story to me in my own faith. It's an important story in how I understand my own ministry. Because as much as any story, this story bears witness to the power of conversation. This conversation between Peter and Cornelius changed the world. It didn't just change them. It changed the world. At Village, we trust the power of conversation. Now, that may sound kind of lame to you. You may say, no, we, we, we need to be a people of action. Well, you're not wrong. We are that. We are that too. But don't rush by the importance of conversation. Our culture needs folks who are committed to conversation. We're going to vote this week, unless you have already checked that off your to-do list. If not, I hope you vote this week. It is a faithful thing to do. And one thing that has not happened in this political season is we have not really had a conversation. There's been division. Of course, politics is always divisive. And yet, at times in the history of our nation, at times, politics has been able to provide the platform for a national conversation or a local conversation, but not now. In our divisions now, we ignore any commonality that we have. In our divisions now, we weaponize differences. If there's, we overlook any good in the other side and we magnify any weakness on the other side, and that kind of cultural practice destroys, you know that it's much easier to destroy a nation than to build one. And yet this division seems to be not just our politics but our identity. Hey, in 1960, Stanford University ran a survey and asked people, parents, uh, would you would you be pleased concerned or unmoved if your son or daughter married someone from another political party 1960 5% of republicans 4% of democrats said they would be concerned 50 years later 2010 a similar survey demonstrated That 49% of Republicans and 33% of Democrats would be concerned if their child married someone from a different political party. It would not surprise me if in 2020 those statistics were even higher. Here's the thing we're going to vote this week. And no matter which candidates win and which candidates lose, we're still going to be divided on the other side of the election. And as long as that is true, we will be weaker and we will be fractured. Most troubling is we are clearly in new ways hearing reports of self-appointed militias, armed citizens who are threatening armed conflict, even civil war, if things do not go their way. Even an elected leader in Johnson County has posted similar warnings. That, that may f- leave you feeling a bit helpless. But I want to suggest we are not powerless. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs said we live in a violent world And the greatest antidote to violence is conversation. It is the speaking our fears and listening to the fears of others and in that sharing of vulnerabilities, discovering a genesis of hope. Like Peter and Cornelius, we need to trust the power of conversation. It might be just the place where we discover what God is really up to in this painful time. A village... We commit ourselves to talk. There are no subjects that are off-limits. We'll talk about anything. If it's being talked about in the culture, we need to talk about it in here and to do so from a lens of faith. We've called Reverend Dr. Roger Nishioka to come join our staff, in part because one of his greatest gifts is to facilitate conversation about things that matter. Our community needs a place where civil conversation can happen. It needs a safe place to talk about the world as it is and to imagine the world as it might be. After Tuesday, the voting will be completed, but the divisions will remain. And the airways will be filled with efforts to demonize the other side. In this bifurcated binary culture, we need a third way. We need a commitment, not just to be right, but to be righteous. Righteousness. Righteousness. It, it's not a statement of how you are on the issues. Righteousness, we've talked about this before. Righteousness is a, is a statement on how we are in our relationships. When we speak of righteousness or holiness, we're talking about our relationships. In Danielle Allen's book, Talking to Strangers, she says one of the hardest things about democracy is certain citizens are always being asked to give up something for the benefit of other citizens. And she said it becomes incumbent upon those who win to make room for those who lose to be included. She calls this political friendship, and she says it's how communities hang together. What I call it is righteousness. It is being attentive to relationships. We've said this before. The world tells you that you need to be right about the issues. That's important work, friends. It's important work. In everything that we face, we should ask ourselves, what does the teaching of Jesus Christ instruct us about how we should engage, whatever the issue of the day may be? But we know this about ourselves. Once we find ourselves in that place where we feel that we are right about this or about that, then there comes a temptation to distance from those who we deem to not be right. We find ourselves thinking, it is not lawful for me to associate with you, the unrighteous. And so it's particularly when we believe we are right, that the work of being righteous comes to the floor. And we need to be attentive and not distance from those who see it differently. And the tool for that? Is conversation. This story says, once you discern you're right, it's not enough. You have to also be righteous. That's relational work. And that work takes the form of conversation. And sometimes, and maybe particularly now, it's the best way for us to really see what God is up to